And we're live once again, people. Welcome back to the Marketing Major episode. <laughs> unreal. The energy, the energy coming out of the gates is unreal. Yeah, I'm out. <laughs> just empty the tank. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. You just you push us, and then the car, the car will hopefully start on its own. It just needs a little boost. I just, I'm just gonna put my my car in neutral. I'm just gonna let it roll from now. Yeah. <laughs> If, it, if things are going to go downhill, might as well take advantage of it, right? Save some gas. You're listening to Marketing Major with Alex and Mo. A podcast by students for people who are curious about marketing. This episode is brought to you by the little microphone on Apple EarPods. You know, the one on the cord... Because that's what I accidentally used to record this episode, and my hair gently tickled it every time I spoke. For real though, just a little disclaimer, if you hear that scratching noise, that's what you're hearing. I sincerely apologize, and I really hope that it doesn't distract from our conversation. Thank you so much for understanding. This is a student podcast, after all. of scrunches it up mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. and that yeah. made my sweater shrink and i was really sad because it was like literally the first time that i washed the sweater and i was like i love it uh so i had to perform emergency operations where i was like soaked it and it was just like pulling it yes. apart to yeah. stretch it back out with all my might so it's <laughs> it's back in rotation at least a little bit i, I might have to do something similar but to an entire load of laundry because oh no <laughs> i'm very particular about how i do my laundry so i like i'll like if, if my laundry's in in the washer or whatever just like my rules don't touch it, i'll take care of it mm -hmm. my mom is obviously just very type a so like she saw I was like oh there's work to be done so she just went and saw my stuff in the laundry and like i what i do is i put it in on medium heat with like a few dryer sheets you know try to take care of my clothes mm -hmm. my mom just chucks it in there no dryer sheets high highest heat yes <laughs> fucks all my clothes my entire load so I got to see if what the damage is and see if what needs to be, you know, fixed like Alex is stretched or whatever. I'm your guy. I'm your guy. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I might need a few extra set of hands to help me out. It's a whole lot, load of laundry. So I might call you guys up. I also had one time I also had, um, I was painting, mm -hmm. but with acrylic paint and I was getting it out of the tube and the tube decided to... <laughs> <laughs> like just explode out of the and it went all over my like light gray sweater it was like this giant it was like modern art a little bit the black spot like rich people would look at it and probably i probably would have made bank off of it but um i got home and i was like mom <laughs> is there a way my mom's like i don't know it was the most hollywood thing like but we can give it a chance probably <laughs> <laughs> and it survived wow so, and i still have it to this day so wow you i mean worst case scenario you could just like splatter more paint on it and like make it a thing you know make it a thing make it a thing but you know you got it out so that's it's really the key part <laughs> how are your guys' day going so far not too bad um yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's been an influx of spiders because um, our room is in the basement 
and it's awful. Just let me preface this by saying I'm in utter distress. But um, it's we're in the basement, and our room has like a bathroom attached, so it's like a little bit humid. And yeah, with the the spring thaw, I don't know if the spiders are just coming out of like their weird hibernating state, but we've seen like three in the past like five days, maybe four even, which is horrible. And every time I have to get Mike to kill them. <laughs> because I have arachnophobia um so it's a problem it's definitely a problem I hate spiders it's not that I don't want them to like I trust me <laughs> if we could coexist I would love that but I the fact that I the don't know where could, they are because yeah. half of them don't give a shit about you they're just surviving you're like I know splat <laughs> if they stayed in one spot and they were always there and I knew they were there then I could like Right. mentally prepare or like adjust to that but because it's like I don't know if they're like around the corner or on me or in my bed or anywhere they could be anywhere and that's the part that I can't handle like it's kind of it's kind of like people hey <laughs> you're like if I knew this person was just in that corner all the time it becomes a lot easier to talk to but now I don't know if they're around the corner or yeah. if they're you know in my bed I don't know <laughs> Oh, they're exactly. gonna give me a random phone call at any time of the day. Like, ah, I don't know about that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like I don't know where that person's gonna be all the time. Mm -hmm. That's that's funny. Yeah. I mean, I I get it. I, I I get it. My sister has been scared of spiders and all insects her whole life. The other day, I yelled at her because she told me that she would kill a ladybug if it was in her room. Like a ladybug, really? <laughs> yeah, it's that bad. Like, yeah, I just can't. So I've been killing bugs my entire life ever ever since I was physically capable to. Should ask me to do it. So I get it, man. A real hero. warrior. Yes. <laughs> I'm a man's man. <laughs> I've been killing bugs before you could walk. Now step aside. <laughs> I'm gonna kill bugs before I could talk. <laughs> I, I think I think everybody who is, has arachnophobia should just like go to therapy. I don't. I feel like that's not a, a, a figure it out. Not, not an option for most people. Like I don't know what to do. <laughs> just, it's just not. It's just not worth letting it torment your whole life. Like, I mean, but it, that's the thing is that most of the time I'm fine. It's just when there's a spider. <laughs> I'm already on it. I have anxiety. <laughs> just seeing my sister, like the amount of distress I see in her face, like when it happens, I'm like, that's not worth it just to be living when that can happen at any time. <laughs> like she gets so stressed out. I'm like, why well, just live like this? Just go do something about it. And Story of my life. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of Marketing Major. Today we have um, Anita Chohan. She's a marketer out of uh, Toronto and she's here to talk to us about um, inclusivity, diversity. She's done a lot of work, um, you know, individually, done a lot of webinars and stuff where I got to um, learn about her. She's also worked in like specific inclusivity and diversity agencies. So she has so much knowledge to drop and we have a little fun conversation at the end as well, where we uh, change the, the pace a little bit and we hope you enjoy it. Hello, Anita. Thank you for joining us today on the uh, the Marketing Major Podcast. We're very excited to have you today. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Um, we just want to get the conversation rolling. We want to get to know a little bit about your educational background and your professional background as well. Tell us a little bit about yourself. 
Yeah, it's really funny. I was actually laughing to myself earlier that I'm on a marketing major podcast and I actually didn't even major in marketing. I Get in line. Um, <laughs> It just happens, right? I and I'm as I've gotten more in my career and the more conversations I've had, it's been that way. A lot of people have been like, Yeah, I did not study this, and somehow I've ended up in it, and I'm happy and I like it. And that's kind of where I'm, I'm at. But to go back a little bit, I my whole life thought I was going to be a lawyer and then I'd be in government, and I had this plan. I had great thing like things planned out about being a politician and everything. And then I get a job in a law firm and I hated it. So luckily, I hadn't invested the time in school yet and going to law school, it was just right before. and. I got there, I hated it, and I decided I can't do this every single day of my life. And <laughs> thankfully I did that because it saved me a lot of time and money. And um, and I went and got my master's in PR. And at the same time, I was just like, let me just open myself up to anything, try it all. And I helped co-found a small little startup called Your Box Club that uh, was an organic tampon company. I was part of the founding team and um, we were on Dragon's Den. And I got my first um, little taste of what it felt like to be an entrepreneur and to build something. And at the same time, though, I was like, do I still want to be in government? So I went and got a job at a nonprofit and did marketing there and went to a lobby group and realized I like it, but it's a little slow. It's a little stifling. And I'm still not able to get the things done I wanted to. And I was still in the back of my head was like, I really liked doing that startup. Although the startup didn't go anywhere, we kind of fell apart. Um, I caught the bug, the bug for like entrepreneurial feeling spirit. And then I made the jump from government into tech. And I've been in the Toronto tech scene for mostly the last seven years. And I am the first marketer on the team. I build out marketing departments. I come in, um, start everything from scratch. And I'm usually the only marketer on the team until we raise money. And then I get a team and I grow it usually. That's so awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Big change. Big, it definitely is not government, but I'm pretty happy. <laughs> yes, yes. Which is what matters, of course. <laughs> Yeah. Could you tell us a little bit about kind of how you got into diversity, equity and inclusion and kind of like your passion for inclusive marketing and inclusion more generally? Totally. So when I was uh, in university, I was the vice president of my student union, and I actually focused mostly on academics and equity. And back then, even, I was just like, you know, everyone needs equitable spaces. Everybody should feel welcome. And as the daughter of an immigrant, I always felt like nothing out there really represented me. And when I started getting more into marketing and recognizing that I, you know, throughout my whole life hadn't felt like I saw myself in anything out there, I started thinking how many other people must be feeling this way and how alienating it must be. Um, the sheer fact that even though I come from a Hindu culture that if I thought when I was younger about getting married, I'd be in a white wedding dress, even though that's not my culture, right? So there's things like these little small things that we don't recognize do impact us and our self um, perception and our identity. And it is all disseminated from branding and marketing and advertising. And it can happen in these like small insidious ways, right? So I 
started recognizing that. And I luckily had the opportunity to work for the last two years up until January. I just recently left. I was at a company called Crescendo and um, it's a diversity and inclusion company. And that gave me a really good opportunity to work on the stuff I love and help. Um, it was a B, it's a B2B company and they help other companies be better with their internal DEI initiatives and teaching people. Like, you know, we're all different, but what's the best way to work together and what's the commonality? So yeah, I got to do a lot of really fun stuff there um, and really take shape to my love for inclusive marketing, diverse marketing, and finding ways to actually run a lot of inclusive marketing campaigns. So, so was, was Crescendo your first kind of involvement in trying to have some sort of impact on inclusion and diversity, or did you get involved in like events stuff in the past? Obviously you do the webinars, like, like you do the Calgary Marketing Association. So like, have you done like little stuff in the past too that, you know, tried to play your part in the whole uh, movement? Oh yeah, definitely. I've always been a big advocate for this. You know, it kind of started off with like women in tech. Um, when I first entered tech, I was one of the few women on teams or the first Indian woman on a team and it'd be me and five other guys. And it generally was the case when you have like just an all engineering team and that's, you know, that's cool. Uh, but I started recognizing that it, there was like big gaps coming from it. Like thought, like, how people collaborate and innovation and ideas and difference in thought, right? So with that in mind, I started doing like panels talking about women in tech and trying to increase um, like just the conversation around bringing more people, more women into tech and why they felt like they couldn't get into it. So I guess that's when I like dipped my toe in. Um, but then, yeah, I think in the years leading up to it and then finally getting into crescendo, that was when I actually put that form to it where this is me being able to do it in the way that I'd like to. And yeah, it's definitely from it. It's um, it's like spun off a lot of different great opportunities. And, and then I have to tell you, there's so many brands out there that are looking for marketers that have this lens and have the ability to say like, you know what, we're just going to think outside the box and we're not going to continue on this pathway, kind of elevating these, um, I don't want to say like secondary, secondary type characters of people that don't really exist. Mm -hmm. We want to really represent the true diverse nature and nuance of every human that exists in our audience. Mm -hmm. That makes so much sense, especially in Canada and, and you're in Toronto and like, like it's even more diverse than it is here because I used to live in Ontario and I get it. Like it's, you, you need to, you need to, you can't uh, be an existing brand in Toronto today and not, and not uh, hit on that point. So you're not going to, you're not going to last very long. It's so true. It can be also alienating, right? And let's be real. What happened last year in the U.S. with George Floyd, mm -hmm. these types of things. Well, yeah, it shouldn't have taken that to, for people to talk about these things. But George, the murder of George Floyd was literally an opportunity for so many companies to step back and say, well, we, what we've been doing isn't working and we have to do better. And we saw a lot of companies step up, which is really exciting. Some did not, mm -hmm. which is really funny, but some really came out and have changed a lot. And I like it. I like the fact that now we're holding brands accountable and we're saying, if you aren't speaking to us in the right way, if you're not representing us, then we don't have to spend that dollar to support you because in capitalism, a dollar spent is a vote basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, totally. I feel like there's been a, a reckoning for just the collective power that we hold, even just throughout a pandemic, but the ability to organize online has been amazing. Um, and I feel like it'll only continue moving forward. So agreed, agreed. Yeah, it's um, interesting, right? Because it feels like something shifted where we 
we will go out. People feel more uh, maybe empowered, more comfortable coming out and saying like, this is not okay. Yes. And it's, that's nice to see because, you know, change sometimes is slow, but it's what we deserve. We deserve to be able to say we have a choice in where we spend our time, our energy and our attention, right? dive more into kind of the the main part of our episode here so talking a little bit more about the work that you do um and um yeah the theme of the entire episode so um firstly um how would you define inclusion and diversity and are they different is there um kind of like differing factors to both how how would you define those terms yeah, I mean, that's a really great place to start just generally. I think that a lot of people, hopefully, are aware of DNI and what that means, like diversity and inclusion. Um, you know, in the last five years, we've seen it really ramp up. I think that, uh, like we just talked about specifically around things that are happening in the US, the pandemic, we suddenly have more of a bigger focus on our workplaces and what we deserve um, in them. So DNI kind of goes under a bunch of different names, like DEI, DNI, EDI. It's almost like death by um, like acronym here. <laughs> There's so many different ways of saying it, but I usually go with DNI. Um, DNI is kind of a focus of a lot of companies, big and small, that seek to kind of build out their company cultures, not only for employee engagement, but for talent attraction and retention overall. So it's kind of more of a company wide initiative. Right. Um, and DNI refers to initiatives managed by human resources, HR, or specific DNI like groups, including something called ERGs, which are employee resource groups, which are tasked to do things like pull people together, like maybe there's a woman, woman's ERG in a company and they advocate for the rights of the women in the workplace and support them or sponsor them. So there's so many different levels of D and I within a company, but the whole idea is just to you know, increase equitability in the workplace, inclusivity, and um, kind of help bring up the people that have been marginalized and undersupported for a very long time. Right, right. Um, so would that differ from kind of like an inclusive marketing approach where that's more on like the consumer side? So yeah, that that definitely differs from uh, inclusive marketing. I think inclusive marketing can be used for both B2B, B2C, anything, right? Like this is, it's important for brands to be able to do this no matter who they play with. Um, but ba like basically, we mostly have been defining inclusive marketing as marketing that highlights and solves for aspects of diversity where exclusion exists. It's um, this idea of just like, you know, it's not just about the skin tone or socioeconomic status separately. It's actually these nuances and these layers that come with a person and identifying and recognizing those things in each pe person individually and also celebrating them. Um, but I see this actually as kind of the base. I think we should even go a little bit higher with inclusive marketing. It's this idea of like amplifying common human values. It's no longer just about, hey, I'm Indian, you're Indian. <laughs> hey, you're, I'm black, you're black. It's important to represent that. But I think that humans are so much more nuanced and we should be looking at things that connect us, like the feelings of joy, uh, like this idea, uh, the story of the underdog, right? Like everybody feels that, right? When you overcome all challenges. And there's some really good brands that have already been doing that for so many years. And one of them, uh, like, let's say, 
say Coca-Cola. Everybody loves Coca-Cola. They just do a good job with their marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of them is like for FIFA, let's say every time FIFA comes around, they do really great advertising around this idea of like a commonality of everybody loves Coke. Yeah. But also everybody wants to win every, there's a pride, there's a spirit there and they really represent that really well in their advertising. So that, I think that inclusive marketing is great when you're able to say like, we recognize that there's different types of people in the world, but connecting them and amplifying those common human values is what I think the next iteration of what marketing should be. Um, Smart brands have already started doing this. um, And I just think it gives us an opportunity to speak to the core of who we are as humans (laughs) instead of like cardboard cutouts that I was talking about, right? And it's like a company that considers like these products and serve their services or experiences in ways that deeply resonate with people and make them feel seen or accurately understood. And by doing this, it can overall fuel innovation in the company and also increase brand loyalty, right? So uh, there's a bunch of stats that say that if people view a brand to be inclusive or see an ad specifically, let's say like a pay-per-click ad served to them on Instagram, that they consider to be inclusive, the the chances of them actually performing an action following that is highly increased. So there are really great benefits for brands um, that actually double down on this and think about it through that lens. But I guess like following through with that, there is a difference, right? Like while DNI and inclusive marketing are not the same thing. They definitely do go hand in hand. Um, they work together. You need an inclusive culture that is created by DNI efforts in a company to drive innovation with an organization, which will then eventually flow through to marketing. So that what that means is if you don't have a team that is diverse and it's coming from the top down or you have a very homogenous C-suite that looks the same, thinks the same, chances are your marketing team might be the same and you have to examine how your marketing team is structured because are you really representing your audiences and your diverse audiences when you all are the same? So you, you've brought up this thing about Coca-Cola and around the World Cup and how that's a really good opportunity to highlight those kind of common goals. Um, and there's events like this. There's also, you know, a lot of social issues that have come up like in the last year where it, that again provides an opportunity for those brands to kind of take a stance and to present their their inclusive marketing in a sense. So what is the difference then between being truly committed to social justice as a brand or to these collective ideals versus just being performative. And I think you've touched on that a little bit about how it's reflected throughout the rest of the company, but also from a marketing perspective, how can you discern that and how as a marketer, can you make sure that it comes off as authentic and it is authentic? Yeah, I mean, the core of inclusive marketing is authenticity and people can tell when it's not. And 100%, if it feels prescriptive and performative, you will get called out. And that kind of flows back to what we talked about earlier about this idea that like more now than ever, people are enabled and empowered to speak out against brands that they don't feel fit that. So um, I'm sure you've seen that commercial with one of the Jenners of the Pepsi ad and she, they co-opted the BLM movement. And um, yeah, it's just such a cringe moment. It's unfortunate. Uh, right. But I think that like, 
to avoid that, it's it's hard. It's a fine line. So first and foremost, I always like suggest, you know, keep it authentic. We talked about that. It has to be authentic. It has to be unique and core to also your company's brands. Don't just say we're doing this one-off campaign and think that we're done, check mark, right? Um, find genuine ways that go back to the core of amplifying those common human values and embed that throughout everything. Um, make sure that it's actual, it's real, and not just one of you, like part of your marketing plan. Inclusive campaigns should flow through everything. Align your flu influencer campaigns with your brand values and vice versa. That's a really good starting point. This should also then flow through your team. Like I said, your values, your operations, everything. Um, and then keep it transparent. I always think this is the best way to do it, right? And enter in when you're working, let's say that you are working with a BIPOC influencer, um, enter into it as a partnership and make sure that it's equal. There's credit given, make sure that you give back where you can. Um, I think that partnership approach is really important because for so long, the system has created this type of scenario where people are taking advantage of, especially um, under-supported and underrepresented and marginalized people. Um, so if you're able to, especially because there's a power dynamic here, if you're able to, um, one thing that we did at one of my past roles was we actually went to the communities that um, were sourcing us, like creating content for us, paid content creators within that space, and then took the profits and redistributed back into that same community. So if you're able to, and you're in the position to do it, I know that this is hard for some companies that are maybe startups or don't have the funding, but brands that want to actually come off as real should find ways to give back. So ultimately enter into a partnership with them, make sure it's transparent, make sure it flows through all of your brand, but at the same time, make sure you give back where you can and go straight to the source. So where does that authenticity then kind of have to start from? Is it, does it start from the marketing team? Are they meant to push the envelope both externally and internally? Is there an expectation that it needs to start from say a C-suite or from somewhere else in the company? Like how, how can a marketing team push for that when they don't necessarily have control over all of those decisions? It's true. Um, it's tough. I've been in that position as a marketer where uh, generally I'm told I don't have, there's no money. <laughs> First of all, there's no budget. Never That's budget. something that you <laughs> never, there's never, never right? budget. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why I uh, I always try to say like there's free ways to be inclusive like just update your imagery go to like yeah pexels find inclusive marketing things like that from websites like that but it it's hard it's hard to if you're a lone marketer or you're part of a team and the company necessarily doesn't have those values built in or doesn't see the value in it it's going to be tough you're going to struggle to get this done even if you believe that this is the way that the brand should go um you need buy-in at the top i feel like there's a lot of stats coming out now right now that are you know making the really good business case obviously it's a massive market too why wouldn't you want to market to these audience this audience right uh with the purchasing power but people still aren't there yet some people aren't there and you might be fighting against uh, an archaic c-suite um in that case it, it's going to be tough for you as a marketer to make the business case if they don't believe it and they don't see an imperative there then i don't know if you will succeed but you can do it in small little ways uh, i've tried to be kind of like smart about it in companies i've worked with like it's it's language choices, it's small little imagery choices, it's things like partnerships and how you represent them. So I say, start where you can, 
including your processes as much as possible. If there's ways for you to prove it through like testing, A-B testing, maybe things like, hey, we use this image versus this image and here's the data. It actually performed better when you had a black person in the image go with it. Let's do this next time. And you can prove it. That would be a good way to do it. Um, but I don't think that it's always going to be a cakewalk. You're going to have to prove it. And sometimes it's a, it's a bigger mentality shift that I don't know if you as a marketer can be in charge of, let's say. Yeah. No, it's tough. And, and, you know, <clears throat> you said like, it doesn't, it doesn't have to come from the top somewhere it has to be like embedded in the organization one way or another. And, you know, when we talk about tokenism, we usually think about it from like the influencer standpoint, but, you know, a lot of organizations find the solution to embed the, this vision is to then hire um, a BIPOC, you know, VP of culture, VP of diversity. And that's another form of tokenism that, that we see more so internally. I, I, can you tell us like why that just doesn't work? Like why that just like falls short? Obviously it falls short, but can you maybe just articulate that for us? Yeah, well, kind of similar to what I just said, it's performative, right? It's just like a one, like, first of all, like they're not changing any of their practices or changing how they think. They're not really working to sponsor or to bring people to the table or encourage different uh, people to come and join the team. What they're doing is just saying, we've picked this one person that we think is okay, that tokenism, right? And that then we're good. We're good for the year. We're good for the like next five years. We've done our job. But yeah, it doesn't work because that person then often works in isolation. They might not be supported. They might not get the things done that they need to get done. Um, and it doesn't lead to overall uh, like organizational change, right? And this is a bigger DNI conversation, right? This is like, this is a problem like internally that lots of companies face. And as a person of color who has been one person of color on a team full of people who aren't um it it's hard to get things done and you might not you i always find myself struggling to be heard to be seen or i always kind of take on a different tone or a voice to to deal with code switching um things like that that happen but yeah it's just you it has to be authentic and real and it has to come from the top down and people have to care throughout the whole organization and just bringing one person in as a vp or culture or whatever is not going to solve the problems and that doesn't then trickle out to your like it's going to have an impact on how you market and how you talk to your your audiences still right because you're not really changing the overall branding or the voice of the company you're not really doing anything to speak to the people that you're trying to market to and that's one of the biggest things that I think is like that you have to do when you're considering how to talk to your audiences is uncover problems for them if the person that you bring in in this tokenist way is not even in a position to bring different values or different ideas in or aren't supported to do that and they work in isolation it's not really affecting anything right they're not going to really have an impact it it's just yeah it's not a good situation yeah, yeah totally yeah and even just like the potential to further marginalize that person and just make them feel either not heard or not valued and of course a lot of worse things that can happen as someone who's being tokenized um Totally. Yeah. I also think like from that point, like thinking you're setting them up for failure. And then if you're like someone in the C-suite and you're like, well, it didn't work with this person, why would I do it again? Right. And then it just kind of sours the pot mm -hmm. for anything else. Because if you're not going in fully and you're not really 
doing it right, you you are setting your company and yourself up for failure and then skewing your, um, you're going to have a bias mm-hmm. against bringing that, you know, that different diverse talent in. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Um, do you think kind of as someone who's working to kind of push change in their organization, do you think it's okay if there's a slower pace or do you think that change needs to be a little bit more radical and people need to push harder instead of kind of like settling for small, small changes in either the way they communicate or the way that they advertise or things like that? So as a person who's worked in government and also in tech, I've seen kind of both ends of the spectrum where it's very slow yeah. with government, <laughs> as you probably know and can assume. Lots of bureaucracy and red tape that you have to get through. So, um, and then you go into tech, which is like literally every single day you're doing something, every action will move the dial somehow on the business overall, Mm -hmm. right? Um, I guess it just depends on the environment that you're in. I personally left government because I wanted more impact to move fast and make change fast because I maybe I'm just uh, impatient, but also I feel like we have no time to waste. (laughs) We just gotta go and get it. And uh, we know what we should be doing. So why are we waiting on it? Um, It's not new. That's where I come from. But again, not everyone's in the position to do that. So being aware of where you're at, what you're comfortable with, what you're able to do within the scope of the world that you live in and play in is important. So yeah, I mean, like I like, I used to always consider them like little acts of defiance. Mm -hmm. Like I would just like, when I was in the government, I would just do little things where I'd be like, I'm just going to try this. And if nobody notices, I'm going to keep doing it. And like, just like little things. I actually I was working at this lobby group that had been around, that has been around since 1944. I was the first digital person that they hired across the board. So we had people working there and that had been part of the company for like, I don't know, like 70, 40s, 40 years. She was like, no, 70 years. Yeah, she had started her career there and she didn't leave until... Yeah, she was, she was very, she was in her eight, I think 80s, 70s or something like that. Anyways, just to give you kind of an idea of where we're at, no digital background. It was in 2015, and um, I they didn't have a blog. They didn't have an out outfa- like word facing blog. So I quietly built one and I started sourcing free writers. I did it with no budget. I coded it myself. It was WordPress. It wasn't big, but I just did it. I put it together. I started getting people from the community to write for us. Started just finding images and spending a portion of my day on it every single day, and we eventually like became an amazing blog and had won an award for free. And these are the types of little things that I would do. And I wouldn't really like, I mean, obviously make sure that you're not doing anything that's not right, like not illegal or whatever, but these little acts of defiance are ways that I, first of all, bettered my skill set, but then also pushed the company forward and helped them build something that they still use today, even though I wasn't really told to do it or I knew we needed it because we needed to represent our community better. So I I really advocate for that type of you know operating within the line. Maybe blurring the lines yeah. slightly here and there. Yeah. Well the the more you the more you sit and think about it, the more things you're gonna realize you can do. Cause when you sit down and you're like getting, you know, every like everything's just in your way. You can't do it. And you're sitting there like well, that's that. But the more you sit on it, you start to kind of find holes and you're like, well, actually I can do this. That won't cause too much harm. Um, as long as you're intentional about it. Right. And that's it. Thoughtful, intentional, and 
not obviously malintent. There's no malintent. And then on top of it, it's like you you recognize how much you do have power over in your life and what you can do. And this is one of the reasons I want to get into government. And I think it's like, because like if you have people who believe that they're empowered, then they'll go and do great things, right? Instead of just saying like, okay, I just go day to day. And I'm just like doing it, right? So I agree totally. When you're able to do it, do it. And I kind of operate on the act first, apologize later. Type of <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of the idea too of just like we all have varying levels of privilege, but just finding ways to utilize the privilege that you do have to make changes, whether they're subtle or larger, that'll eventually amount to greater change. Agreed, agreed. And I think that's a really important thing to remember too. If you have a lot of privilege, use it for good, find out ways you can give back and do things that like impact others, like equalize somehow. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, definitely. So kind of along that same line, um, what do you think are some of the biggest reasons why brands struggle with either inclusive marketing or their DNI kind of attempts to kind of improve their organizations internally? I, there's so, so many reasons. Like I think after working for a company that dealt with companies that dealt with, that were running DNI like departments, time is a huge thing. It's a very emotional um, type of role for DEI people and DNI people because they have to carry a lot and they're tasked with a lot on top of it. So they're kind of also DNI professionals are kind of in this middle ground where um, C-suite and like business strategies understand that it is imperative to have DEI programs, effective DEI programs in-house, but they also don't give enough value or budget to it to hire people to do the work. So time strapped, it's an emotional labor type of job. It's a lot of work. That's one reason. I think also um, going back to what we talked about where it's a situation of C-suites not fully bought in. They don't see the value of it. That obviously works against companies and marketers and brands that are trying to actually resonate with audiences because um, you know that will affect who's on your team and what voice they're at the table. And I think that just in general, I think even though marketers recognize that this is important, they don't know how to do it. They don't know the best ways to go about it. And I, I have a, like a little poll quote I've noted here to share, but like Marketing Week actually conducted a survey of like, like 750 marketing professionals and in, in 2019, I believe. And it revealed a growing trend of marketers feeling as though their companies and brands were shifting alongside the changing societal landscapes. So this is a bigger problem. So marketers, wants the change because they they're talking to their audiences they know what their people want and the problem is as though they're not being supported um there's not enough maybe data to prove the value of it which i'm i don't believe uh, there's enough there's enough out there yeah <laughs> and and obviously like in the court of public opinion you know what's going to work and what's not going to work so why are you saying it's not going to right so anyways there's that but i also think that just like the biggest thing is that people don't know how to do it so if you're like a new marketer or you've never thought about it or this is a situation of i've always done things this way and this methodology has worked for me so i'm not going to change there that could be working against them but I just think like team structure and, you know, brand style guide and user experience, these are small places 
that you can start doing these things. And one of the first things I do when I come into a company um, is I do like a user design research sprint for marketing, not for product, but like for a marketing Mm -hmm. lens. I sit down and I talk to everybody in my assumed persona or audience, and I understand their unique stories. I don't necessarily build personas based off of them because I think that sometimes it can be too boxing. Um, I like to talk to the individual person, understand, like I said, those common human values, dig into the nuances, understand even the language that they use, right? And when you're able to talk to them as humans and understand them and you know, I record all of these, I go back, I do like tons of analysis and we pull things out of it. And we use that to inform things like our branding, our positioning, our marketing strategy, our imagery, even in product experiences, if you're at a tech company. So things like that, then you can figure out a problem to be solved and you build your unique value proposition around that. And so I just think that this is the new way of how you should go about talking to your audiences. And it maybe not all brands are there yet. Maybe they just don't know that this is the necessary step they need to take. But hopefully in the next little while, this is kind of commonplace because it's just, it feels like when you talk about it and maybe it's just me because I've been doing it, it feels like a no brainer. So you you brought up this quick idea too about not not wanting to create too many personas because it was a little bit boxy. Um, is that sort of the general approach you take where you avoid getting too, I guess, boxy in a sense and you prefer keeping it flexible? Because I guess the reason why things are so rigid right now is because they've been so boxed in. Mm-hmm. And if that's something that you kind of naturally have avoided um, because it's, it's more dynamic in that way. Yeah, totally. And yeah, okay, I... I know like human wise, we like putting things in boxes. It's easier, it makes sense. And I guess like also when you're starting off a company uh, and you don't know where to start, start with a persona, do it. But I encourage you to constantly talk to your customers, talk to your audiences. Even if it's somebody who's like, I don't want to use this brand or I'm not going to buy it, understand them, why they wouldn't, why they're not coming towards your brand. Like talk to everybody. Um, I also um, mentor like startups and speak to like CEOs about how to go to market with their strategies a lot. And it, it's interesting how many of them I have to remind, like you have to constantly talk to your customers. You can't just talk to them once at the beginning when you're trying to validate your idea or a new product line or whatever you're launching. You have to constantly talk to them and you have to be in constant flow with them. And I think that the problem is, is that we don't, marketing in some capacities don't really talk to the clients. Sometimes they just are given the information and then have to make decisions that with like this buffer in between, right? It's like a big gap almost between. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I've traditionally stayed away from building those types of personas unless I have nothing to start with. I use that and then I kind of build from there. And then I do user design type research sprints where I put out a call let like, you know, anyone open to talking to me, if you're X, Y, Z, let's say you're a DEI professional for the last role, let's talk. I incentivize it because I don't want to take anything for free. It's important. If I'm going to benefit off of it, they should too. If they're yes. going to give me their time, talk to them, ask them very open-ended questions, let them drive the conversation and share with me. In one such case, in, the, in that DEI company I was at, we actually built a scale off of the conversations that we had. And what we did was we took a lot of that data and we built kind of a, a gradient of 
DEI advocates because not everybody is in tune with like you know wanting to build a more diverse and inclusive space. So we actually talked to like I don't know like 20, 25 people plus and like for no like like three weeks where we just talked to them and talked to them, took in everything. And then from there understood that there are certain traits or things that people go through to maybe be like a newbie to DEI, a DEI, like interested in DEI or an advocate, right? And then we understand so each of those categories. And yeah, in some ways that kind of is like a uh, persona base, but we also left room for it to be more fluid where it's like, okay, how do we move them through these categories? How do we, you know, make them, okay, they're a newbie, but they're interested. Okay, so we introduce them to it. And then how do we mar market accordingly to them and flow them through and what happens when we do move them through, how do we market to them then? Like all of these considerations. So yeah, I like to keep it more fluid. I also don't like to box people in and I want to always represent the nuances inherent in each person when I market to them. You know, it's, to me, it's, it's, it's a bit frustrating and like mind boggling because every successful company, you ask them, oh, why did you find success early so quickly? You're like, oh, we just talked to our customers where we're customers centered. We put our customer first. So just to, to realize that so many companies are still not doing it. I, I just can't understand. I can't wrap my head around it. It doesn't make any sense to me. It the like, eye roll when we brought it up. When Anita was like, that's an obvious, you just, they just don't talk to their customers. The eye roll that Mo gave I just was unreal. <laughs> yeah, they went back in the head and went back twice. <laughs> and all the way around. Yeah. <laughs> I know. It's so funny. It's like these things that we know we should be doing and we don't. And yeah, I guess that's just humans. <laughs> we know and we don't do it. <laughs> Is this too easy? It's too easy. Maybe too easy. It yeah. might be. That's it. But yeah, I think that there's like, like I said, there's a myriad of issues around why companies might struggle towards it. But I think that if marketers want to be able to figure out a way to do it and be scrappy, I'd suggest reading, making sure you're connecting with people and talking to your audiences all the time. There's a lot of really good resources out there that they can use for free. There's um, like an un unconscious bias checker even for HR people to put in their job descriptions to check, you know, what type of signals are they sending out through like little language things that we use that we don't even know, right? So lean on the tools that are out there and like that can maybe help you feel more confident if you don't know where to start even. Um, but there's a lot of stuff coming out right now. I'd say um, inclusive marketing is really gaining speed in terms of just like, like people see the value of it and a lot of people are advocating for it in their own brands. So if you're like Mo, who is entered a company and he's freaking ready to start talking to some to some customers here and and uh, some consumers, what are some of like the channels, what are some of the approaches that you have found success in, in engaging in engaging those people um, yeah. that whatever whatever you need from them? So like if it's like net new and you don't know your audiences or whatever. Yeah. yeah. How do you approach them? How do you engage them? Yeah. So um, LinkedIn post. Hey, I'm looking for people to talk to about this. Do you have 15 minutes? And I'll give you a $5 gift certificate. Let's have a coffee over it. Buy, I'll buy you a coffee. You and I can sit and talk. If you're interested in this, ping me. You'll be surprised how many people want to talk. <laughs> they want to connect. Um, also, just getting your your people in your network to amplify it that's a huge thing i'm i really love linkedin and twitter i'm also i'm a big twitter fan and i have a really big community there and i 
any anytime that you put something out there, people want to help. And that's the good thing about the world that we sometimes forget. People do want to help. <laughs> I know sometimes it doesn't seem like it, um, but people do respond. And that's how I usually go about it. I open up like a survey, maybe even if I have a way to do a um, uh, email. If I have an email list already, let me tap into that. That's a great way of doing it. I also will go to other people that I know and you can, there's a bunch of different communities that I'm part of, uh, marketing communities, uh, even things like, Mo, I'm not sure if you remember, but on the CMA talk, I, I mentioned marketing Twitter on like there's okay so marketing twitter if people haven't heard of it is phenomenal just like hashtag marketing twitter it's just a bunch of people who are loving on each other and want to help each other in marketing like literally there's one woman who just tweets stuff out it's like if you have under a thousand followers tweet with this hashtag and we'll all follow you and we'll all celebrate you and it's just it's unreal it's a beautiful thing to see <laughs> right so Put it out there, put it out to the world, um, tag marketing Twitter and they'll help you. It's things like that, like just knowing where to go and the channels where to go. But if you're looking for a specific type of person, that could be a little bit harder. So you're gonna have to figure out first where they where they congregate. If they're if like you have to be more specific in your ask, maybe if you're gonna post on social media or whatever, and be very clear about the feedback that you receive, right? And the people that you connect with. So be upfront about what you're looking for and be smart with your time. Um, we don't all have millions of hours to spend on this. So be very clear about who you're looking for and what type of information you're looking for. Even before you start talking, like take that conversation from social, a big public social post and put it into like a DM, make sure you're clear between them as well. Yeah. And I, and I think it is important to get specific, but like if you're really starting out from complete scratch and you're really strapped for resources, like talk to your friends, talk to your immediate social circle. I think you can grow from there. Like, I don't think you need to start somewhere too, too advanced. No, you don't. And, yeah. and you don't need to have a massive market research budget to go and do these things. Like you can do it for free. You can say, I'm going to have 10 conversations and I'm going to do $5 gift certificates for each of them. Done. Yeah. Easy. Easy right? Yeah. Super easy. Um, but yeah, that's kind of the approach I've taken and it's worked, but there is a network effect. I'm very, I am not me without my network really. So I'm thankful for that. Anita, I wanted to, I wanted to get your two cents before we moved into the, the, the conversation of like how to get started and talk to your customers. Um, just when we were talking about, you know, why companies aren't doing it, you know, I think a lot of them just like, Put, put like the numbers first, the money first. You said it, you vote with, with every dollar that you spend. Um, during the last year of seeing the social justice movement that we've been seeing, a lot of just people in, 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 our, in our communities have just been putting it, making it very clear that the most, the best way you can be an inclusive brand is by making your offerings accessible, by making products and services accessible. So that's obviously through your price point and, and, and where it is. So I think a lot of people, a lot of, maybe executives are realizing the best way to be inclusive is maybe to drop our price points or to miss out on some profit. I just wanted to get your, your, your two cents on that. Like mm -hmm. is, is pricing the most effective way to achieve inclusivity as a brand? And, and is it, it but is it also even an option in, in most senses? See, it's tough, right? Like I don't necessarily have, I'm not sure if I have the right answer for it. What I think though is 
that sometimes is it better? The question is, is it better to drop your price point to make sure that you can have good retention? If, if it's a, a recurring cost, maybe it's better in the long run to keep that person and have a, a more accessible price point. But if it's a one shot item and you lower your price, does that also, it, there's a psychology behind pricing, right? Like, does that lower the value? of the good or the offering if you drop the price, right? So I think that like accessibility is key. Maybe there's other ways around it. Maybe there's opportunities to do unique pricing or offer sales or different things, depending on what the product is or what you're doing. Um, but I don't know necessarily if it's a if it would work in my head, I don't know if it's going to be like, yes, we're going to drop the point with the price point. It'll be more accessible and right. we'll still be able to operate. Right. Because guess what? We still live in a capitalist world. So if you do that and someone else doesn't do it, your competitor, you're going to lose out and then you're going to be out of business. So it's hard because it's like, I also recognize the barriers and socioeconomic problems right to accessing these things and but it's at the same time it's like the whole structure is messed up <laughs> like, right so what like how do you play in that um yeah so sadly I don't have an answer but I, I do wonder about this like when I come into a company we talk a lot about um pricing in a general sense and like uh what is the right amount to price at something right is it like dot nine nine like 99 cents after or is a straight number things like that people value things differently on how they perceive it right so if you suddenly drop your price or you go into the market with a lower price will people not value your product as much or will they will they see it as oh this is accessible for me so which one is it right yeah. i don't know if you can win you're right that, every every company is almost playing like a, a game of chicken with all the other companies like they're not moving so we're not going to move so i guess everyone is going to stay still for like a few decades and no one's going to make progress like that system is itself it's hard it's hard i think like in in a general sense because it's that whole idea of like we want to change and we know what we should be doing that would make the world a better place and everyone feeling equal um but then you have profits over everything and when that's the guiding light then it kind of halts the progression for the people this is a bigger radical conversation i think we're having right now <laughs> definitely <laughs> yeah i mean <laughs> i mean and, and and the other thing too with the whole idea of like the game of chicken also nobody nobody wants to be the one to make a mistake when they move into that that kind of space. And I think to, to, to turn the conversation a little bit, how should a brand respond to a mistake when, if, if it comes up, you know, how, how should a brand respond? Like, have, have you ever missed the mark? Do you have experience in, in something like this? Oh yeah. Break it down. <laughs> oh yeah. Not fun. Uh, but learning all learning. Right. Um, yeah, so first off, let's answer your first question. You have to own it. It is like PR crisis communication 101. Also yeah. step up, own it, um, honestly, and promise to do better, but also take responsibility. Actually take responsibility. Don't just obscure what happened or throw, you know, like throw other people under the bus. This person did it, whatever. But like say like, yeah, you know, we made a mistake and going forward, here's how we're actually going to change and what we're going to change about it. Like show those next steps. Um, that's one thing. And show immediate action right after, right? Don't just like be like, okay, statements out there. We did the press conference, whatever. We put the tweet out and we're done. Own it and actually follow through. 
and talk about it more. I think it's really important. I've always thought it's important for brands to revisit it. And it's not that they have to like pay penance. It's just make sure that they're walking the walk because we sadly have seen so many cases where they don't, where they say we're gonna change and nothing happens, right? Um, and then on the other question about me failing all the time, fail all the time, um, make lots of mistakes, but that's how you learn. Um, in one role, the DEI company, we were putting out a, um, a Black History Month type of campaign package. So part of our offerings was we go, we give companies the tools that they need to facilitate specific special holidays and how to approach it and talk to their teams, like having like discussion tips and how to um, even like mental health awareness month, like how to notice signs of someone who might be burnt out, especially during a pandemic, things like that, right? But specifically for the Black History Month one, um, I am not a DNI professional. I am working in DNI and I care about inclusive marketing and I've done work to learn more about it and I've taken courses, but I'm not a trained DNI professional. So that being said, I tried to write stuff that came off as othering and the language was othering that I used and our clients received it because we thought we had a, like, we thought we had a review process. We thought I was like, okay, I'm just going to build this. It's like me writing a blog. I'm building content, but I did not take the care and delicacy needed, especially because I was just writing it as this is content it's content. It wasn't like I had to think about those receiving it, their experience, all of that. So uh, we obviously learned from the mistake. There was a little bit of trust lost with some of our clients, specifically because we are supposed to be that brand that does that for them. Supposed to be the experts. There you go, right? Yeah. And then we basically messed it up and we lost that trust. But it, one thing that came out of it, a better, more rigorous process for understanding risk yeah. and feedback. Also, that's when we decided, let's go to the communities. Let's go back to the communities. Why am I speaking for them? I'm not, I'm not equipped to talk to this group. Like I can help maybe get the message out there. That's where I can fit into this as an inclusive marketer, but I'm not going to speak for somebody anymore. Right. Does it ever surprise you when like a big brand, like with so many resources, like how could you still miss the mark? Or is it sadly at the point of like, yeah, another brand fumbles it, nothing new. I think there's a shock value, right? Like, I'm just like, oh man. And I also like some good gossip. Like I like some tea. So I love what I see on Twitter. Like, did you see this brand did this? <laughs> I kind of love it. But at the same time, it's like, I'm not surprised because they're so slow to change. And again, even though we know we were supposed to be doing well, like we're supposed to be doing better and we know we were supposed to do better, yet people are slow to do it because they don't see it as important, right? Or they don't prioritize it. Or for all the other reasons that we just talked about earlier in the conversation, just they don't have the resources or the ability to think that way yet for whatever reason. I mean, you say that, but like you mentioned, uh, I think it was the, the, was it Pepsi with the Jenner? How Jenner was it? Yeah, like they, they like I, I can't really, I, I would find it hard to admit that they don't have the resources or the people in the organization to see what was wrong with that. You're on Twitter, so you obviously saw the whole Burger King debacle a few weeks ago. I'm like, how do they not have the right people in the room to say, this is probably not the best idea. So that part doesn't, I don't understand it. I believe to to the, your point there. I believe that they did a case study about why that happened. It sh I think it's on it's online. It's like uh, Social Buzz did one about about the Pepsi ad, and they talked about it. It was a situation of not having diverse voices at the table. It existed in a vacuum, and it's exactly what you're saying, Mo. It's that idea that they didn't have diverse 
voice at the table and somehow got it to actual filming and distribution without people being like flagging wait <laughs> yeah yeah like uh, i have a question about this campaign can we just like talk it out real quick like no one said that like especially with burger king on twitter especially today like in the middle of everything we're going through right now i know I, there's it so shocked many. me it shocks me yeah so many i mean even bon appetit there's so yeah. much stuff. Oh my gosh, this Amazon stuff with their employees. Oof. Ugh, yeah. No thanks. Yeah. But yeah, it's also a thing. I Okay. Yeah. Maybe there weren't enough diverse voices at the table when they're ideating and coming up with the ad. Like people might be excited. We've all been in a fun brainstorm. Oh my gosh, let's get a big celebrity. They're going to be in this crowd. Everyone's going to be championing, you know, and there's going to be exciting. And she's going to walk up and have a can and like be a savior. She's going to be that white savior. Um, and then they're probably so excited about it and they get it to a certain point and no one can really say anything because maybe they've gone too far or maybe there's not a culture to say hey maybe we need to scrap this like there's like so many things I think about where it's like maybe that's the, that's not even a marketing problem maybe that's the company culture problem right yeah well that's another thing too like those are massive companies right so it's not turning this little production on a dime as you said there's like a checkpoint at one point where you know you you're driving a cruise ship and you got to turn this bad boy around and it, it sometimes it takes a little longer you can't just pull the plug it's true. whenever there's a whole system and at one point it's yeah. it's too late yeah and then you don't feel safe right you don't feel safe and you need psychological psychological safety sometimes to even say like or dissent a, a group opinion right so there's a bunch of things i think could have been at play and that's it like situation um brands can like just work to get better at it. That's it. I think these things will happen. It's always going to like, there is going to be some sort of failure and that's how we grow and learn. Right. And it's like, even if we do fail, just own up to it and don't like, don't let it like stop you from doing really great things. Right. And even if it's a big brand, like they, they continue to market and they recovered from it. I mean, Overall, Mo, I'm sure you remember in my in my deck for the CMA talk as well, I talked about they actually didn't um, gain back the margin that they had grown. Pepsi did following that. They actually lost a lot of purchase consideration following that. So there are re repercussions for it. So, but And there's things that companies can do to mitigate it. But own it and learn and don't do it again. If they do it again, then that's, that's a bigger problem. Yeah. Yeah, then might as well close shop uh, at that point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, well before we we get into to our next segment and and switch up the uh tone and have this conversation a little bit um as as someone who's a student who's you know soon to graduate and find the organization of which they want to work in um i personally like in my search i i personally like i don't want to work in a company that has not figured out how to be inclusive already and does not does not have an inclusive team within them already so what advice do you have like to students who are just going to be entering industries now um in this like you said like the societal climate um who are looking for the right place to work and and refuse to settle hmm, i like that i also am one of those people that like that refuses to settle. Mm -hmm. And if I have a situation in a work situation or whatever, where I don't feel comfortable or have that psychological safety, I will leave. And that's not a problem. Um, but I want to say something about the pandemic. Apparently there is a 
massive growing, like hiring uh, spurt for marketers right now, mm -hmm. obviously because things have shifted. So it's actually, I, I've been reading stuff where people are looking for marketers. It's, I work on this um, uh, company, like oh, as a freelancer, um, it's called prospect.fyi and prospect sets out uh, quarterly reports about the innovation economy, specifically around like startups, things like that. Um, the And what they have found in their Q4 2020 report from last year, uh, end of the year, was that marketing and sales were the most hired. Wow. They grew. So yes, we're in the pandemic. Yeah, things feel like they've shifted. But in response to the shifts, marketing has doubled down. Interesting. You're in luck, my dear marketing grads. Buckle up. I hope, I hope you're right. I hope you're right. <laughs> but but I feel like there's two questions that you asked, right? Like there's a climate and then what if you don't want to settle? There's opportunities for you. Just know what you want. I think um, practicing values, exercising, uh, maybe doing a like values exercise about what you want, particularly before you take a job, yeah. can help mitigate that that terrible thing that we've come to accept that this idea that your first job out of school is going to be crappy and you just got to do what you got to do to get your footing. Um, I'm a big proponent of startups and learning fast and you can learn a lot in one fell swoop in marketing, but you're going to work hard. So that could be a good opportunity. And generally startups try to do well. Like I think there's the intent to do well. Now, do they actually do well sometimes culture-wise? Maybe not, but the intent is there, which is phenomenal. Um, but I would, I, I, if I had you know, my chance to go back, I'd probably enter startups because it'd give me a really good taste of marketing and trying different things and seeing what I liked um, and then going from there. Yeah. And and it gives you opportunity, like before you turn into a cruise ship and you can't really turn around <laughs> anymore. Yeah. You're still nimble and you can still, you know, make quick change or, 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 or yeah, or just pivot where you need to. <laughs> got, got to learn to navigate the little sea dew before you start driving those cruise right. ships. Mo. True. Otherwise, you're going to get stuck in the Suez Canal. Let's there you it. go. Full <laughs> <laughs> <Well>, circle. Lovely. <laughs> For this guest section, we're hoping to do kind of a rapid fire astrology 101 session so we want to go through some astrology basics um kind of talk a little bit about what is astrology going over the signs and beyond the sun signs um and then eventually we're hoping that you can make a wild guess on <laughs> what our signs <laughs> might be based off of this very short interview <laughs> So good luck. Um, and then we'll go into a little bit more of an overview of our actual signs and talk a little bit more about that. So first of all, um, would you mind talking a little bit about what is astrology, kind of giving us a little astrology 101 session? For sure. So I always find it so funny, right? I I like astrology and I talk about it and it's in my bio and I have a website, all the stuff. But at the same time, I feel like a really reluctant astrologer because I can't verify if it's real. And I like data and I like all of these things. So I always love to preface when I talk about astrology as I think it's a really good tool. Yes. I think it's a really good tool to understand yourself and to understand other people. And astrology, in essence, is just understanding how the cosmos and the universe interact with each other and then how that impacts you. And your day-to-day, -day, there's so many different parts of astrology. There's your birth chart that you can look at. There's, so that's like your natal 
astrology and then you have synastry which is relationship astrology and then there's so many sub sub parts to it and there's different ways to calculate birth charts so it's it's an as you know, an age-old study <laughs> that has lots of different parts to it. And I feel it's constantly evolving. Um, but I've been practicing astrology for myself for the last 15 years. Um, I only really turned it externally and shared it with even people in my life, actually. Some people were like, Anita likes astrology because I kind of kept it to myself because I couldn't validate it. Um, but then I opened it up and gone to my 30s and I was like, I don't really care what people think. I'm just going to go and do it and I'm just going to go for it. And um, yeah, it's, it's so nice because I think people, I don't know if it's the last few years or what's happening in the world, but more people are open to it. We're having more conversations around it. For sure, it's it's kind of hot right now, right? Yes, definitely. <laughs> um, maybe it's in lieu of like, we don't really have control <laughs> around the world. So maybe we're just trying to seek meaning in things and f trying to feel safe somehow. And maybe in past times, like, we might have turned to organized religion maybe for some people, but for this, maybe Gen Z and millennials, we are going towards something more spiritual yeah. like astrology. Yeah. Totally, totally. Um, could you tell us a little bit about maybe just like a basic overview of what the signs mean um, or um, kind of what, what are birth charts, things like that? Yeah, definitely. So your birth chart is basically a snapshot of the cosmos and the universe at your time of birth. So the moment that you came into this world, this is what was happening in the universe. And that kind of just stays, that's just who you are. And then there's things called transits. Transits are the everyday changes to the universe. Like as the earth moves, the sun rotates and all the other planets are moving in their patterns and how that interacts with your birth chart so you can see what certain things like you know if there's something that's going on let's say i'm sure everyone's heard this retrograde you might understand how that interacts with your chart and what part of your chart it's hitting it'll be different for every single person it might interact with one aspect of your chart that might have to do with family and home it might interact with another person's um inner self right there's like all these different areas that transits will hit on your particular natal chart. So that having been said, everyone is obviously so different and we have so many different parts to us. And when it comes to the signs, um, we kind of, I feel like everybody knows their sun sign. We know from like a young age, like you're born at this time and you're this. Like me, I knew, I don't know if it was because my mom would always tell me, but just like, you're a Leo and you're such a Leo. Like that's like, oh, I just always grew up knowing that about myself and reading things. And what I wasn't ever a big horoscope reader. So I also want to make a differentiation here. Horoscopes are like those daily things that people are like, yeah, this is so general, doesn't even matter. And it kind of, takes away from what astrology is. And I think they're two different things, right? I think horoscopes are very general. And for sure, you can look at, if you're not an Aquarius and you read the Aquarius one, you could be like, that fits me today, right? There's like things like that. But astrology on the other hand is actually the study of the whole chart. And it's not just based off your sun sign. And 
depending on like what your signs are, your sign is, you'll have other things in your chart as well, including something called the rising or the ascendant, which is based off the time of your birth. And they also have a moon sign, plus your Mercury, Mars, Venus, all of them. But going back to what the signs are specifically, there are four different elements, we'll call them. So there's air, water, earth, and fire. And within those, there are three signs in each element. And each element also has three different modalities. And the modality is just kind of like how you as a human might interact with the world. And the different like signs will have a different modality. But there's three major modalities. The first is cardinal. And cardinal, I like to use a, this uh, idea of like a fire. So I'm going to use a, like a, an example of fire throughout. So cardinal sign is like the spark. It's like when you light a match. It's the first sign in the element. It's the one that is pioneering. It's the one that is sometimes not afraid to speak their mind and go and get what they want. Uh, they include, so there, there's one in each element. So Aries is the fire cardinal. Capricorn is the earth cardinal. Cancer is the water cardinal. And uh, the last one, which one did I miss? Uh, was it air? Air, air Libra, Libra is the air cardinal. And then- I'm learning, I'm learning. <laughs> you got it. And then we move over to fixed, which is like a campfire that's always smoldering and it just sits there and it's hard to move and it's stubborn and it just stays. It has really good staying power. And a fixed sign for fire is Leo. Water is Scorpio. Air is Aquarius and uh, earth is Taurus. So generally tough to move, steadfast, persevering and very set in their ways. If they decide on something, they're gonna stick to it. <laughs> uh, and then we move over to the last one, which is mutable. I think of mutable as like a forest fire. It's growing, it's moving, it's always changing and it just goes with the flow. Um, fire, mutable sign is Sagittarius. Uh, water is Pisces. Uh, air is Gemini and Virgo is Earth. So, those are the three mod modalities and it actually just, it shows you how you might interact with the world. So for me, my chart is mostly fixed, which means I have to work really hard sometimes to just be able to go with the flow. I pick something and I kind of stick to it and I like it and it feels comfortable. Uh, and sometimes taking chances and making the changes you need to as a fixed sign is really hard. But while my most of my chart is fixed, my moon sign, which governs my emotions, is a cardinal sign. So I'm often very fearless when it comes to speaking my mind emotionally. I might be the first to start a conversation. I might go head first into confrontation, which people don't love, <laughs> like things like that. So that's a good example. And depending on your chart, you might have a mix of all of them. You might have one dominant. You might have none of another. Like I have no mutable in my charts. It, is really nice because my partner on the other hand is all mutable so we balance each other out really nicely he's almost too chill let's be real <laughs> amazing awesome. it's it's more complex than i thought it was i've learned so much already it's uh, it's more than your sun sign i think that's what people are coming to realize that's why it's really fun this this new resurgence of interest in it has been really fun because i think people are seeing it beyond just yeah i'm sun sign whatever right and it's because yeah. there's layers i think there's a again it's such an it just brought up something really interesting to me um 
uh, just like I was talking about with the inclusive marketing, it's the same idea. We're layered, nuanced people and astrology speaks to that. Way to tie it all in together. It was perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Snaps all around. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. Oh, this is so exciting. I'm having so much fun right now. <laughs> <laughs> me too. Thank you for having me. It's been so fun so far. Oh, I'm so glad to hear. Um, okay, so going off of that basis, thank you for teaching us about the nuance of astrology. Um, so no would you want to make a wild guess on our signs, our sun signs? Because I feel like the rest would just be really hard, but maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, so it's really funny because there's obviously the energy component. Mm -hmm. And sometimes like for some reason, and I'm not lying, I literally can pick a Pisces out of a crowd. <laughs> I don't know why don't know why, uh, my whole life. But um, I think that's like when I'm in, in front of people or maybe I'm just, look, I get it. There's some confirmation bias here, okay? Yes, like yes. I know there is a logical fallacy happening that I'm quite aware of and it's fitting my own beliefs and what I already know, but it's really fun. It's really fun. But either way, um, I guess I could take a stab, but because I have, I don't know very much about each of you, or this is the first time that we're interacting, it might, it'll probably be way off base. Um, okay. So be, and also just to be clear, it's going to be tougher to do sun signs. So just in astrology, when you meet somebody, you, and you don't know them and you're not close with them, you are showing them your ascendant or your rising. And that is because it's more of like, consider like a social mask. So even though I did read that yesterday. <laughs> nice. Nice. Did some pre-work I see. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I went on my phone and scrolled through all my things just so I know what I am going into this pop quiz. Alex, Alex downloaded a co-star last night and started scrolling through. <laughs> no, I had it. But then yesterday I was like, Oh, I got to study it up again. I got to get on the same page here. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> um, co-star is great. Uh, but I've heard that they actively try to, to give you bad news, Ooh. like through push notifications. Yeah, the astrology uh, community was like really down on CoStar because it like, it, it, it's kind of negative, some of the push notifications, right? I'm not sure if anyone else has found that. Interesting. Yeah. I just use it for my charts, just my little database on myself. That's good to have, right? I, mean, That's, <laughs> I know. I think it's really cool. And it's like I what I like is how you can add people to it and you can actually see yeah. yourself in relation to them. Like it's cool, right? That's a fun part of it. But if I was gonna guess, <laughs> okay. So Janae, maybe, maybe I would go with Libra. Close, close. I, I'm a Leo actually, but yeah. I'm like right, right on the cusp. You're My birthday is on August 21st. So I'm like, yeah. <laughs> oh. oh, okay. Man. I'm August 20th. Hello. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. There's like, so there's also juries out for a lot of astrologers in the community about cusps. And ah. for those who don't know, cusps, traditionally people say, um, those who believe in cusps believe that six days between like between changing signs you embody characteristics of both mm -hmm. on the other camp they say nope when the sun sign is done it's done and you're just one or the other you can't be both you missed the deadline pretty much <laughs> listen listen yeah. uh now that we're all experts i'm gonna put my foot down when you turn off a light it doesn't go dark right away there's a little burnout phase That's all right perfect. i believe in exactly. cuss. okay yeah there you go that i one point one point to anita <laughs> yeah i 
I actually don't know if, well, I get it and I see it because as a Leo, a later Leo, I sometimes feel like I have some Virgo qualities for sure. I feel like I have a lot of stuff, but maybe it's also other stuff in my chart, right? So that could be it too. Janae, do you know your, uh, your ascendant? I think, I think it's Capricorn, but I'm not 100% sure. <laughs> Don't be a hero. Open up your co-star. I know it's There's there. No shame. I know it's I'm opening there. mine in case I get any questions because I'm not prepared to answer. Oh <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's Capricorn. Cool. Okay. And Mo, I feel like maybe Scorpio or a Taurus. Ding, ding, ding. I'm a Scorpio. Good one. <laughs> Good one. You got it. Damn. That's very impressive. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I just, I felt it. I don't know why. Uh, Are, is it often like intangible? Like you just... Or are there yeah. certain characteristics? Wow. Yeah, nice. but I have talked to Mo the most through that's, that's email. True. Wait, right? can you tell him my emails that I'm a Scorpio? <laughs> Dude, your Scorpio is showing. <laughs> Holy. I tell you, Scorpios are really underrated or they're just negative, but negatively portrayed. Thank you. Thank okay. You. They, no, no, straight up, I think they're one of the most passionate, um, most like deep people that honestly that like that exists and anytime that you have Pluto anywhere so Scorpio is ruled by Pluto anytime you have Pluto in your chart in whatever house or whatever it asks you how far you're willing to go how far you're willing to go to achieve that goal what's your ascendant oh geez um rising they'll come up as rising ascendant is Scorpio Scorpio sorry you're a double Scorpio what's your moon my moon is 3B? Triple Scorpio? Can you do it? Let me let me check. Hold on. It's the second yeah, it's one. The second one? Yeah. Um, okay. So I'm, so like I'm, could... I'm confused a little bit because in my chart, my ascendant and my Mercury, my Mercury is Scorpio. Okay. My Pluto is is Sagittarius, but it's all under the first one. I don't know if you guys can see. Yeah, that. so that's in your first house then, because yeah. your ascendant is always your first house. Right. It's always gonna be your first house. Right. Sorry. So your your sun sign though is not. What's your sun sign? Go down. Scorpio. No, it doesn't say that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, go to the top where your name is. There you go. Okay. First one is Scorpio. Then we have the Moon as Aquarius, and then Rising is Scorpio again. Oh, the moon Aquarius. Little little Scorpio sandwich over <laughs> here. Sandwich. <laughs> Mo, you are a very fixed oriented person. You have uh, you have to work very hard in yeah. some parts of your life to probably go with the flow. And you probably have to be more open to change. <laughs> I was not ready for this to be turned. <laughs> Mo was so gassed. He was like, oh, I'm so uh, I'm such a deep you're, Scorpio. You're, you're, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. And honestly, everybody who's taken a guest at my my sign has is more more times than I has guessed Scorpio. So I guess it's really I guess it shows. Yeah, I don't I don't know why. It's rarely Especially if it's a double. So what's lucky when you have your ascendant and your sun sign in the same sign? What you feel in your soul comes out externally. So Ooh. people can see there's a unison that's happening there. For me, for example, my um, ascendant is Taurus mm -hmm. and my sun sign is Leo. So what happens is people might perceive me as one way. Similar to you, Jenea, they might, if you're the Capricorn ascendant, they'll assume that you're one way, 
but then when they get to know you, they'll see, oh, the Leo's there, right? Yeah. And this is really tough for me because Tauruses come off as like a little more calm, subdued, and then you get to know the Leo and it's the Anita show, okay? <laughs> the Anita show. Yes. <laughs> Big time. Okay, so I left the hardest one for last because I wasn't yeah. sure. I am having a, a rough time with this and for some reason I want to say Virgo, but I don't, or Aries. I'm an Aquarius, actually. No way. No way. I'm an Aquarius. Yeah. It's the way it goes. End of January for me. And then my rising, my rising is Sagittarius. Ooh, that's a good mix. That's really nice. Um, Sagittarius. I'm a little quirky like that. Yeah, Sagittarius <laughs> rising is so fun. And what astrologers say is they teach us how to be free. Oh. That's Alex. I do get that from Alex a lot. I do. Yeah, really nice. Sagittarius. That's really wholesome. Yeah, Sagittarius um, like placements are fun. Aquarius are quirky and eccentric and go against the beaten path and wear circle glasses. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if, I'm wearing the wrong one. My circle ones aren't blue light. Sorry. <laughs> if, if anyone knows Alex, you just described him to a T. Exactly. <laughs> That's fun. <laughs> Well, because um, your ruling planet when you're in Aquarius is Uranus and Uranus has a, a different uh, pattern for movement uh, than other planets. And usually when Uranus comes in, it throws things off balance, but for good, like it comes in, it changes shit up. It forces you to um, kind of, again, go with the flow, but be open to change. And it's quite revolutionary in spirit. It you know, it inspires people to act in big ways to change the world. Amazing. I'm gonna need to I'm gonna need to check in on that that planet soon because <laughs> it's in Taurus right now, in Taurus, and all of these changes that are happening for the banking system with cryptocurrency, things like that. So Taurus rules the second house, and the second house is material wealth, value, goods, even the banking system. Um, and with Uranus transiting it for the next uh, 2026, it just got into it in 2019. Um, and it was just retrograde, which meant going backwards. Um everything that is happening when it comes to like the financial system, stuff around the GME stocks, all of that fun, the meme stocks, things like that. All of, a lot of astrologers were saying like, this is the impact of Uranus on the financial systems and what we understand as value. And it's shifting our thought about like how we perceive money and how we interact with our financial institutions. Wow. Holy That's crap. amazing. I never knew it went that deeply. Like in it's wow. huge. Wow. Yeah. It's a it's it's interesting because like the nuance there until you know it. If you go, if you don't know it beyond sun signs, it's so easy to just be like, this is stupid, right? Oh, like yeah. this doesn't yeah. make sense. But then when you look at the overall impact, like there's all of this stuff, like um, especially when it came to stuff around like last year and the pandemic. I I don't know if this is hundred percent sure, but like the last time that Taurus Uranus was in Taurus, this I read varying accounts about this, but last time that Uranus was in Taurus was like the 1920s, and then there was already a pandemic then too, and led to a financial crash and we're in the 2020s now so look i don't know again maybe we're cherry picking stuff here but if it's true that's 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 pretty intense right that's on me guys that's on me <laughs> that's your that's your power. sorry about that that's, that's your power to think against um traditional things and go against uh beliefs um longly held beliefs wow wow yeah. amazing it's well <laughs> 
That is super fun. I, I, I can probably speak for all three of us when we say we all learned so much today um, yeah. in terms of um, inclusivity, diversity, um, marketing, as well as astrology, arguably maybe more so in astrology. Um, <laughs> we might have to change the title of this episode. <laughs> Just potentially, <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> Anita, thank you so much for this conversation. Really enjoyed uh, chatting with you. It's been such a pleasure. You too. Thank you for having me here. And I really encourage everyone to reach out to me. Uh, find me on LinkedIn, connect with me. Um, I really love being able to help people because as a person who didn't study marketing, I really relied on marketers to help me when I was first starting off. So happy talk anytime, but thank you again. And yeah, stay in touch. Yeah, same here. And everyone is wondering where to find her. We'll, we'll link her stuff on socials when we, when we drop the episode. Um, it'll all be linked on there. So you'll find where where, where you can reach her. Awesome. Awesome. Good stuff. Great. That's a wrap. Thank you so much, Anita. That was such a great talk. Um, she's an amazing educator and I was so excited to meet her. That was awesome. For someone who does not major in any of what she talked about, she is ridiculously knowledgeable. Like, I yeah. don't understand. Yeah, honestly, like, it just goes to show, like, it's less about what it says on the piece of paper and more about just what you actually learn and what you're passionate about. I mean, like, are we turning into the anti-marketing major podcast right now? <laughs> Hiring me was the beginning of the end. <laughs> Infiltrating from within. <laughs> just breaking down the system <laughs> yes yes no yeah. I, I don't think it's turning into the anti-marketing podcast i think it's turning into the marketing's got to change podcast yes I think, like, I think we're this us and like it's not exclusive to us i think it's our generation of graduates and marketers totally like yeah we're gonna do this thing a little differently uh y'all can step aside we'll, we'll take the wheel from here yeah, we are turning the cruise yeah. ship. We're we're yeah. working and on you it. You know what? We're we're drifting that baby, turning it yeah. crazy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we're sick of the slow, you know, a twenty nine point turn that they've been doing over the last few decades. Now nah, we're skirting that hole. <laughs> <laughs> so funny yeah i mean it's it's one of those things where so many people it's it it comes from like a place of like kind of passion and like a, it's a it's a personal thing always it's always personal projects which kind of makes me feel better because it, it kind of shows you that you're going to end up in the in the jobs that just suit you yeah and i think when we go through it we set ourselves up and you know we do the whole thing we we box it in we're like this is what we're studying this is what we're going to do and that's you know that's great and then we realize that like, as you move into it, a marketing marketing major doesn't mean you're gonna be working in marketing, mm -hmm. just like how any other major doesn't mean you won't be working in marketing. Mm -hmm. And you just, uh, you gotta be ready to roll with the punches, Mo. I know, I know you're a little tough to shake. You're gonna work hard to go with the flow. But uh, <laughs> yeah, to bring it back. I think every conversation yeah. has been slightly chipping away at this theme sure. of when we realized that you were a double Scorpio and that's what you need. <laughs> the chip in the way no it's true it's true i i find that i must say like i i it, it's a little conflicting because to me i try to live myself as like easy going go full as possible but i feel like it takes a lot for me to do that like i have to be very active in doing yeah. it it's a lot of energy mm -hmm. so 
that mm-hmm. does that does align with me being very just hard-headed and ask people close to me like you know I'm pretty sad in my way sometimes it takes a lot to shake me um but uh it's 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 nice to to hear to hear it it's almost um it's almost validating like it, it makes sense and like okay I am the way I am for a few reasons and you're right I do need- I won't stop you from doing anything right it's just yeah. what you have to what you have to do what do you have to use you're right you're right but um no, I, I'm, I'm very actively pro shaking things up and like doing things differently, even though my, my chart might say otherwise. <laughs> yes, definitely. I, I really liked the kind of points she touched on about nuance and kind of the idea of gradients, um, gradients of change, gradients of people. I think that was so, it really spoke to me. Um, and as someone who is really passionate about social justice and about anti-racism, everything, all of these things, all of these movements, um, that's what I often struggle with is because a lot of the education that I get is through social media, um, obviously through school as well, um, and through like my own kind of Googling and researching and all of that. But a lot of the time where I'm most involved is on social media, which is also the place where there's like zero nuance and it makes it really hard. I'm like always in the comments section being like, oh dear God, oh God, like just like my blood pressure rising because I'm just like so <laughs> like, ah, there's, oh God, everyone's mad and it's scary. <laughs> and like, of course there is like an objective truth and there is like, of course, not a strict right and wrong, but there is right and wrong. Um, but social media is often just very, it's very hot takes. It's very clickbait. It's very emotional. It's very now it's very, I'm typing as fast as I can. And it's very fast. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So as much as I love it, it's also nice to kind of tap into that nuance and kind of slow things down a little bit to actually have like a sustainable learning process so yeah for sure for sure and and hearing her discuss it more and and how you know it's actually put in action in her experience and how it can be put in action kind of gives me a little bit of hope which we've all kind of been lacking on the last Mm -hmm. few months it it gives me hope that like you know this stuff can change just takes a few different approaches Mm -hmm. exactly it takes the it takes the subtle like baby steps chipping away those subtle acts of defiance that she talked about as well as these big moments of radical change so yeah um did you guys grab any quotes that you wanted to to bring back up Alex anything I I like the moment where she was like I think we're kind of having a bigger more radical conversation right now and I was like (laughs) yes that's always what's underlining it being like capitalism (laughs) yeah that was my takeaway yeah her opinion that like capital and capitalism like every dollar spent is a vote and I think I think that's that's also really really true like uh, and it goes it goes hand in hand everything with with my little rant from last episode about about companies just like not actually doing anything about problems just saying that they support problems like uh, put your money where your mouth is you know, mm-hmm. I, li- I like, I, I think putting like investing money into the things that you say you care about Yeah, is today, unfortunately, because we are in a capitalist society. I don't think that's the only way to do it, but mm-hmm. 
in the current you know playground that we're all operating in i think if the best way to support is put some money in and invest in it yeah um one of my takeaways it's not necessarily a quote but it was kind of it was kind of how i i summarized the idea earlier about you know when things go wrong and when you have to bounce back from that how do you keep it authentic and it it seems like the way to do it is to apologize or to address not what happened but like why it happened mm-hmm. um because i think that's where cuz oftentimes you read it and some you're like i don't buy it and some you do mm-hmm. and like it's sometimes hard to necessarily tell why that is but i think she talked a lot about you know it's not enough to just say sorry and then have the you know dust off your hands and say whew that was a close one but it's it's more about looking at you know why why this thing actually happened and trying to take action to avoid it next time and that's mm-hmm. sort of like you know we're not sorry for what we said even though we are we're primarily sorry for why we ended up saying it and what went wrong along the way and that's what would make mm-hmm. a more authentic change in a lot of those companies Absolutely. Um, and that's really hard because again we talked a lot about startups and those smaller companies everybody has a lot more influence in the culture overall because it's smaller teams they're closer knit teams but in a lot of those bigger companies there there can be quite a degree of separation between each sort of um like department and and um team mm-hmm. so yeah, it's sure. it's one of those things where you have to use what you have and even if it doesn't feel like a lot it it builds and uh you know even though the first point and the 29 point turn ain't a whole lot it's a lot better than not starting the turn at all yes i guess you can't always skirt you can't always <laughs> skirt the cruise ship mo sometimes you got to take some slower turns <laughs> Definitely, definitely. I really like what you said about like acknowledging the the underlying context for which the mistake occurred and the why and the this is what we're going to do to be accountable and to change this context. Absolutely. Like I think I think if it'd be cool for me. Yeah, I, I asked because I asked this question so many times, like on this podcast and also just talking just to people like in my circle, like how did no one say something or stop or like how like I want to know the step-by-step process so like instead of just saying like we shouldn't have said that maybe like if companies were to share like this is what we thought this is was was our thinking or like maybe like oh it went wrong here when we had this meeting and no one in this meeting was a woman or a person of color and that's why it ended up where it ended up today like I think those underlying problems of why we didn't stop it why it happened how it happened I would like to know more about that. She mentioned yeah. the case study on the on the Pepsi one. Yeah. Um so I think that's a quick Google search away and that would be a probably a very interesting read to see, you know, yeah. what what step of that process um went yeah. wrong. Yeah, I'm sad, but I I would love to see in future companies coming forward and putting up forward that information themselves. Mm. Yeah. Rather than um you know, research companies or whatever doing the research like why did this go wrong? Companies be like we messed up last week. This is what went wrong. Yeah. I want companies to come forward and say, because, you know, that's in, what we in designing, like in the early stage of designing this campaign, wonder, we didn't blah, blah, blah. We yeah. didn't address. Yeah. We didn't um, ask. We didn't whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. And getting an actual explanation versus 
versus yeah. the sorry and then the fluff that makes up the rest of the you know yeah and, and we, we we talk so much about brands becoming more personalized and personified you know like we want them to kind of act as like another individual as a, as a friend in our in our social circle that's like the perfect place for a brand to be so like when a friend of yours messes up and hurts your feelings or whatever or does something you want that from them i think mm-hmm. i think i think brands just take that like just regular human perspective and, and course of action maybe they'll they'll mitigate the the dumpster fire they might have created by by making their mistake maybe it's really interesting because it's like I watched a documentary recently. I'm not going to dive in. Don't worry. <laughs> but it's kind of. <laughs> we'll, we'll watch it. Um, it was called, it's called the corporation, but it, it touches on at the beginning, like how corporations are legally persons. Um, and it's just interesting that as brands evolve to be more human, um, they should also, if they are persons, if they are more human, then they should have the same responsibility and accountability that other humans do, which oftentimes they don't, but that they should. Absolutely, they should. Yeah. Is this on Netflix? Um, I do not know. Um, I had to watch it for a class, but. Search it, I'll search it out. Well, now that we've given you a movie recommendation, this has been yet another episode of the Marketing Major Podcast. Uh, why did I sound like, uh, like an airplane pilot a little bit? I liked it. (laughs) Was that episode two or three where we did the airplane? The airplane bit? Oh, if you've been, if you've been around since the airplane bit, thank you so much. (laughs) We're almost, we're almost at the end of the season. Hang in there. Be strong. We're getting there. there. Uh, but yeah, thank you for listening. Uh, and we'll see you next week. Well, (laughs) let's change that. Yeah, well, thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. (laughs) (laughs) Don't make promises you can't keep out. (laughs) Yikes.